and welcome to Tech, Future and World, the podcast where we discuss a new subject every week. My name is Paddy and I am the host of this podcast and this is episode three so I thought I'd pick a rather random one for you, a slightly bizarre subject this week and that is floating farms. Now that is right, you did hear me right, I did say floating farms, not fish farms, don't get it mistaken for that. These are full farms which literally float on the water. So the reason I thought we'd look at this one this week is I live in the UK and one of the big things that we have in the UK is we import a lot of our food. Now within that as well a huge amount of our population lives within cities and that is pretty much all imported into cities. There's very little food which is produced and grown actually within cities which is then consumed within those populations. And these floating farms are effectively a concept or an idea on how to try and mitigate as much produce that has to be uh, imported. So let's have a little uh, look into actually just a bit more detail of actually what a floating farm looks like. Now as I said we're not talking about fish farms here so although they are a form you could argue a floating farm we're sort of just going to that's not going to be counted in this podcast just because that is a whole separate uh, subject or matter by itself so anything that we're discussing today is purely um, stuff which you sort of wouldn't expect maybe like plants animal farming or to be more precise land animal farming or, or where it can use fish but it's not dedicated to fish farming it has a combination of of different types of farming methods used so where does the original idea of floating farms come from? Well, floating farms have actually been around for generations, especially in places such as Bangladesh, India, Cambodia, a lot of those climates with high rainfalls or monsoons. And these farms were traditionally used because of the issue that lots of farmers had with the monsoons. Every year the monsoons would come round and flood the farmers out and they'd lose a lot of their crops, one of which is rice farming. And they'd lose that to the monsoon weather. So lots of farmers actually ended up changing to a different kind of farm, one which could actually float on the water. And these are traditionally called floating gardens. And what the farmers would do is they would gather up materials such as paddy stalks, weeds, and place them, like compact them all together and place them on stagnant water and basically make rafts out of them. And so you'll see all these weeds compacted together in like a square raft on, a, on some stagnant water. What they'd then do is they would then get seedlings and plant those seedlings actually in that organic material on top of the water. Now the benefit of that is, is it doesn't matter how much more it's going to rain, that floating raft is just going to keep rising with the water level. So those crops are never going to get um, flooded out like the rice would. And it's actually seen as being around or being the best food production for about 60 to 90% of the people who actually live in those wetlands in southern um, Bangladesh. So that is how much more beneficial this type of farming is in those very wet, wet areas where it is prone to a lot of flooding. These farms are also incredibly eco-friendly, so they're really good for the environment. These farms do tend to be a bit smaller, more resembling something like a homestead. So something which will provide food for their family, their neighbours, friends, maybe even contribute to food for the village. But nothing really on super large quantities. 
And so it's not really designed in the sense of cities as we are mainly talking about today in this podcast. But it, it's sort of where the idea of floating farms has originated from. So we won't delve into any more on these particular floating gardens. I think they in themselves could take up a whole episode. So we could always revisit in a future episode. But for now, let's focus on what we really are looking at today. So that is these floating farms that are going to help produce more food for our larger cities, our settlements, these mega metropolis that house so many of us nowadays. And to be fair, I say we could see, but there has actually already been a floating farm created to date. If you find yourself in Rotterdam, you might find out that not only do they have the largest port in Europe, but they also have the first dairy farm floating on water. Now, these dairy cows have been there since 2019. And these cows stay in a barn that floats in the harbour basin. The idea the owners of this farm had was there's an awful lot of uh, lost produce, like food transport, which all affects the uh, quality of the food. So therefore, in this changing climate where sea levels are rising, food is having to be transported much further distances, the owners thought, hey, let's ask the port owners or port managers if they could build a floating farm there. And I love reading the article on this where they advised that they asked the manager and that manager literally just came back and went, are you nuts? And... You would think it is a nuts idea. However, they have gone ahead and made it. So this barn is a completely self-contained barn. Most of it is run through robotics. So robots within the farm time and signal when it's time for the cows to be milked and goes through that whole process. The milk is also then pasteurized and processed on site um, right there and then. So straight away, it doesn't have to leave to a, uh, a different sort of site to actually pasteurize it and make it suitable for human consumption and then not only that is because it is right there in the port of Rotterdam that milk just gets straight away transported out to the stores or anyone who is part of the milk service in in Rotterdam and it means that that milk is probably only going to be literally a couple hours old by the time someone actually gets it in their fridge which is incredibly fast and actually does sort of support really good quality at least in terms of the time scale you get it and therefore milk not going off there are obviously arguments in terms of is it a um is it ethical i mean for one apparently they have already had two instances since 2019 where two of their cows have fallen out of this barn into the poor and had to be saved now they haven't advised any cattle have died yet, but the fact that they've had to go and save two cattle from falling out of this barn doesn't sound great. And the fact that these cattle, again, are kept in these barns and aren't ever able to leave. They are on this floating barge, in a port, no grassland, anything like that. They are literally there just to be milked, 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 milked. And that sounds horrible. And on a personal level, I don't agree with it. But that's not really that much different from dairy farming as you have it now. Yes, in the summer, these cows often get to go out in some fields and enjoy like grass there. But especially these 
big, big farms which are there to mass produce this milk for the majority of the public. Those cattle are kept indoors all winter in the barn because of the weather conditions aren't good enough and they aren't all kept in fantastic conditions and the vast majority of these farms are still high intensity and there isn't the space. Very little of our farming is still organic or free range. And this lack of good quality living conditions it is sort of a detriment to the animal's health in the long run. Now, you're always going to have this argument and we won't go into it too much because we want to have a look at generally some other bits about this sort of floating farm and the whole argument of like animal welfare and is a whole different subject which we don't really want to get into on this uh on this podcast but having cows on a floating barge is that gone too far i guess we have to sort of decide what is more important the animal's life quality or the quality of the milk that's going to be getting to your fridge and how quickly the last type of floating farm we're going to be looking at hasn't been created yet or not as far as i'm aware um it is sort of a uh, an idea of another type and it sort of uses a bit of a combination so in short it's going to be made up of layers so the first layer is going to be a renewable energy source so that's going to 99 percent of the time going to be solar panels on the top the top of the structure will be completely lined purely in solar panels and that will absorb the sunlight and actually power the structure which will run all of its mechanisms its electricity all of that the second layer or the layer under the solar panels which is still above water is going to be a um a plant a um, a horticulture layer so that's going to be uh one where you have plants growing in it uh, hyd- hydrophonics there so they're going to be producing all of that vegetation. Now, they'll be able to pick the produce from this vegetation, but also, as that vegetation starts to die, bits of plant matter fall down, that will basically fall down to the next level. So it won't just stay on that floor, it will drop down to the next level, which will then drop into the water. Now, that will be the final level, which will be a contained fish area. And this comes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast. There are some of these farms that involve fish, but they are not purely fish farms. These fish farms, or this fish aspect of it, they're going to get fed by the plant matter that falls down from the top. So they will be fed naturally through that. They don't have to be given any additional feed in terms of any sort of growth or hormones or anything like that. They'll just get natural plant matter that falls down from the ceiling above those fish will obviously get bigger and get to maturity and then those fish will be taken out of the water and used to sell as sustainable fishing as well so although it's not quite a a full loop a whole life cycle we have got a, a dependencies on each level's so you can't have the fish without the plant level. You can't have the plant level without the solar level. And the solar level is designed to make it completely eco-efficient. There's no power that has to be run to it. No detriment to the environment. As well as that, again, it's floating. So with the rise of sea levels, these farms will be able to float with it.
Now, we've mentioned that they're designed so they raise with sea levels. But what's the other reason? Why is the other big selling point of these farms? Well, if we have a look at the city population, or rather the population of the... Let's, in fact, first of all, let's have a look at the population of the planet. We currently have a population of 7.7 billion people who live on our planet, with around 55% of that population, so about 4.2 billion, live in major cities. So if you remember what we were saying at the beginning of the podcast, the fact that like, if you ignore whether your country imports food or not, if you just look at the city itself, most cities do not produce that much horticulture, agriculture, food to actually sell in the city. So most of it has to be grown, developed, and then import, processed and then imported into the cities so they can actually be used. That means from the actual point of your food, as soon as your food gets picked out of those fields, for example, as soon as the f your beef or your pork or your chicken has been slaughtered, that's on a sudden decrease of quality. It is, as soon as you kill that animal or as soon as you pick that plant, it's already starting to degrade and therefore the quality is getting worse. So there's an awful lot of rushing that these farms do in terms of a lot of them is frozen, a lot of them try and process as quickly as possible and get it to, to the shops. But that does take time. And even in the fastest processes, that can still take a day, a couple of days or so. Plus then, if you think about the transport that goes along with it. Now, we've just thought about the quality of the food going down. But also, all of that transport, moving all of that food, it uses an awful lot of fuel, of power, to transport those produce. And that's all stuff which is contributing to climate change. So, by having this produce closer to the cities, or grown closer to the cities, you could avoid an awful lot of transport costs. You can avoid an awful lot of transport pollution. You can avoid a lot of degradation of food quality, and actually getting food to those people quicker. And especially as a lot of the water around these cities, obviously they're being used as waterways for ships and that, but a lot of it is unused at this point in time. And as much as you probably think it's not going to be the prettiest site, you could have hundreds of square kilometres of these floating farms off the coast of cities or in rivers of cities. They would probably never produce enough produce to feed the entire place but they could significantly contribute to it um, and especially with a growing population we're gonna need more and more food produced there's only going to be so much that our already rural farmland is going to be able to produce already like if we think about the amazon for example more and more of the amazon is cut down for farmland and um, for for grazing stock every single day and actually, we could maybe avoid some of that. We could avoid some of that destruction of our, our rural habitats by having some of it more locally in areas that we're not using. In fact, let's have a look at just how much these farms could help as it stands at the moment. So we'll use an example. So we'll use London. Sorry for everyone else, but I live in the UK. Probably London's the easiest one for me to work it out for. 
So London's population is about 8.9 million. So we're going to just round it up to 9 million, make it easier. It's going to get there very shortly. On average, each of those people consume three to four pounds of food each day. Now, I won't take the higher figure again because I used a higher figure for the population. So let's just say three. Let's take a more reserved approach. So let's say three pounds per day. So each of those nine million people consumed three pounds per day. That's going to give us a figure of 27 million pounds of food are consumed in London on a daily basis. That's 27 million pounds of food that has to be imported into London as a minimum because we didn't take that higher figure of four, we took the lower one of three. So 27 million pounds of food have to be imported into London on a daily basis minimum to feed the population. Now I'm going to have to do some maths quickly here just to work out how many farms we'd actually therefore need just to feed London. So one of these massive farms that is being suggested would be able to provide 10 tons of food per year. Now, the size of that farm is said to be between 200 meters by 350 meters. So an area of 204,000 square meters or so would produce 10 tons. But that's 10 tons per year. And we're working out how many farms we'd need in order to produce that for a day. So if we work out how many tons there's going to be in our 27 million pounds of food used each day, that gives us 13,500 tons of food that would need to be produced every day. So our one farm isn't that far off from producing enough food for the entirety of London for one day. It's not quite though. So Let's work out how many square meters we're going to need of these floating farms to feed us for an entire year. Now, bear with me here because I'm doing some calculations in my head and they got rather big. So if I have gone, in fact, you know what? I'm not going to use my head. I'm going to use a calculator because otherwise this is going to go horribly wrong. So we're feeding 9 million people, which consume 27 million pounds of food a day for 365 days in the year so that gives us 9 billion 855 million pounds of food that need to be produced for london in an entire year that's 4,927,500 tons of food a year so we know from the farms that we were looking at so the ones which produce crops and then feed fish, that that sort of style of farm could feed up to 10 tonnes of food per year for an area of 204,000 square metres. So if we times that square meterage by the number of farms we would need, so that pretty much almost that 5 million tonnes, so that's 4,927 tonnes, 500 tons if we tie or divide that by the 10 tons that is produced by the farm of the year so we would need 492,750 farms to produce enough food with the square meters we've been given 
Now, that total area those floating farms would take up would be 100,521 square kilometres. Now, that seems like a much more reasonable number from the millions and that that we're dealing with a moment ago. But my home county, Sussex, is only about 2,000 square kilometres. So in terms of the size of the UK, you're looking at 50 times the size of the entirety of Sussex to produce enough food just for London on these floating farms. Now, if you go and have a look at something like Google Maps and that, look up Sussex, you will see that Sussex is a fairly big county in the UK. And if you've got 50 of those, you're looking at an area like maybe like the third the size of the UK. I don't know exactly, but maybe it's a large area. And that's all area that is saying has to be out by that water near the city. So if we just look at that, I think to have a whole city to be or to have a whole city's food um, and animal products to be provided by these floating farms is just not feasible. These floating farms are obviously an idea to try and support this growth and population, support the amount of food that has to be taken in. It's as well as food that has to be imported in then from farmlands or even from overseas. It's not the one to fix all scenarios. It's not ever going to be enough produced from these to feed the entire city. And even if you said, okay, well, let's say for argument's sake, we could and we did put all of those farms in, not only would it almost block the channel, well, it would also sort of defeat the point in it being quick to get to the city. By that point in time, you've got hundreds of miles to actually still get the food from these floating farms into into the city. And yes, okay, these farms can produce it all on site and then send it off. But at that point, you're sending it in from quite a long way again. The degradation of or the decay of these products is already going to be happening again. You're sort of defeating half a point of these farms. So... I think we've pretty much looked at it in full detail. We've looked at where the farms originally came from, all of that, and how it's inspired these new types of farms that are being created nowadays. My personal opinion of it, they sound like a great idea to try and boost food production and to support food already being imported into these cities and to try and reduce the amount that has to be imported but no there is not a fix for the current issues of bringing food in anything like that i think it's going to be one of these ones where it is going to be probably quite expensive and it's going to maybe be more of a novelty for some people to have really fresh food come from these farms eco wise they seem to be trying to create these because of climate change so to try and help climate change these farms aren't going to be have adjustment on the environment. They're, they're going to be sustainable and also be able to rise with sea levels. Animal welfare side of things sounds like it could be rather dodgy, personally, for my opinion on that. I don't think... I, I mean, I am vegetarian. I don't think really we should be eating meat in the first place. But even if you do eat meat, 
do you think that it's right to have them on these floating barns? You are going to have effectively a battery farm on floating barge in in the water. If anything, it's going to be even more restrictive than actually the battery farms that are already around the world and especially like in the UK and other places. And finally, this is only a solution for those cities that are actually by the coast. There are obviously many cities that are inland and yes they have access to often quite big rivers and that but we were talking about huge areas to have enough farming to produce enough food for the entire year for for the city on a river it's going to be even more reduced so it's only going to be a benefit for those coastal cities so that's been the podcast this week i hope you really enjoyed it it was the third one i am still very new to this podcasting so i hope that you're seeing an improvement in my technique and how i present these programs or prevent the podcasts and i've tried to make some changes already to this week based on some feedback i've already received from the previous ones so please keep sending in that feedback it is greatly appreciated And if you are returning from the previous weeks, thank you for coming back and listening again. If you're new, thank you for joining. The next one will be out next Monday. Hopefully it will be just as an exciting subject as it was this week. And yeah, have a great week and keep researching yourself. Find subjects that you find interesting. So finally, see you next week for our next topic and have a great week.